And aren't you thankful for Jesus today? I am many in this world. He's nothing more than a swear word to them. But that's not at all who he is. He's our Savior. He came to die and to take our place so that we could have a home in heaven. This morning we're in Mark chapter number 9. Mark chapter number 9. If you get there, that would be a good thing. And we're going to look at these verses today. And um, anybody in the room ever have a hard time learning something? And you, it's got to be, sometimes you gotta, it's got to be repeated over and over again. Maybe because of your stubbornness. That was my case on some things. But sometimes you go, you're in school, and there's a something you just could not understand. I've never shared this because I help the kids in our Christian school sometimes with their math. But the one area in math I couldn't figure out was fractions. Fractions were very tough for a while. And I mean, my teacher tried several different ways. And I know some of you are like, fractions, those are easy. Let me pull out some and see if you can do them today. I can do them just fine. And some of our Christian school kids need to learn how to do them. And so they, right, Ryan? Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah. And, uh, but fractions took me a little bit. And I could just see the frustration on my teacher's face when I couldn't get it. And I've seen the frustration on my face when some other of my students couldn't get it. I know what my teacher felt like. Or sometimes in life we learn lessons. Someone's like, why is the same thing being repeated in my life? Why didn't I just learn it the first time? The disciples had a hard time learning some lessons. Jesus tried to teach them some things, and they just weren't getting it. We're going to look at why they didn't get it today. Jesus, three times, we're going to look back at chapter number 8 in Mark here. We're going to look up to chapter number 10 in a minute, and then we're going to go back to chapter 9, verse 30, where we are. We're going to look at three different classroom settings that Jesus had with his disciples. So if you're there, let's take your Bibles and look at Mark chapter number 8. And look at verse 31 and 32. Mark 8, verse 31 and 32. This is the first class session that they had. It says, and he began to teach them. Do you see the word teach? So he's trying to get the disciples to understand something. What is he trying to teach them? That the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again and he spake that saying openly. He was trying to get them to understand what he was trying to teach them. And the Bible says here, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. And so things didn't go so well the first time around, right? Peter's saying, no, you're not going to do the I don't know how you can call him Lord and then say no. But we all do that often, don't we? The Lord tells us something and then we tell him no. We shouldn't tell him no. He tried to teach them this lesson here in chapter number 8. They didn't get it figured out. We're going to skip classroom session number 2 because that's where we're going to be at today. And we're going to go to classroom session number 3 in Mark chapter number 10. Mark chapter number 10, look at verse number 33 and 34. We see that he is teaching them. Is this the same lesson he tried to teach them in chapter 8? Behold, we must go to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him and shall scourge him, and they shall spit upon him and shall kill him, and the third day he shall rise again. So is this the same lesson again? Okay, are we awake this morning? 
All right, we're, we're trying to learn something this morning. So is this the same lesson from chapter number eight again? Yes, all right, good, all right. Just want to make sure we're on the same page here. Now, this one ends a little differently as well. Go look at chapter 10 there, and look at verse number 35. It says, And James and John, the sons of, De of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldst do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said to them, What would ye that I should do for you? And they said to him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand and the other on thine left in glory. Wow! Jesus is trying to teach them that he's got to suffer. He's going to die, go to Jerusalem. He's going to die and rise again. The Son of Man must do this. The first time we see it mentioned, the first time he's sitting and teaching them, Peter says, nope, you're not going to do it. And then he says, Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. This passage, third time. So we skip the second one where we're going to be in a few minutes. This is the third time. And James and John are more concerned about having being great in God's kingdom, then they are about what, they are totally missing it. They're not grasping what Jesus is trying to teach them. And in all reality, when we study this out, they really don't get it until afterwards, if we're being honest. But sometimes we look at ourselves and we're like, man, we just didn't get, that lesson took so long for us to learn. That's what we see with the disciples here. Last week, we saw the disciples, remember Jesus, Peter, James, and John come down from the Mount of Transfiguration, and you had the other nine disciples that couldn't cast out a devil out of this young man. You had the scribes mocking them. You see Jesus step in, and Jesus taught them another lesson, the fact that they needed him, that prayer and fasting, that's the only way this kind will come forth, but by prayer and fasting. And so today we get to chapter number 9, the middle lesson, lesson number 2. This is classroom experience number 2. Mark chapter 9, look at verse number 30. It says, And they departed thence and passed through Galilee, and he would not that any man should know it. Look at verse 31. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. Now, is this the same lesson? Yes, three times, but this is the second time. We looked ahead to the third one. We'll get there in a while. This is the second time. You also, the other day, our Bible reading, those who are doing the year plan with me, we're going through, we just finished the book of Mark. And as we're going through the book of Mark, we realize chapter number 10 is coming up. Guess what? You're going to hear a message out of me. I've never preached on the topic yet. You're going to hear a marriage, a sermon on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. That's coming in chapter number 10. That's going to be an interesting one. We'll leave that there, and we'll go no further with that. Say, so when are we going to get there? Just look at how many verses are between us in chapter 10. That's when we'll get there. But as we look here and as we see these things, it's the same lesson. But look at what it says in verse 32. But they understood not that saying and were afraid to ask him. And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house. Now, do you see, it doesn't say in a house. It says the house. I have a feeling this is the house he went to often in Capernaum. Probably Peter's house is the house that this is. Because that article is there. And I could be wrong, but whatever. And it says, and he asked them, What was it that ye disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace, for by the way they had disputed among themselves 
who should be the greatest. Do you see a pattern going on here? Do you see that there's something that is keeping them from learning the lesson that Jesus wanted them to get? Next chapter, we see the same thing happen, and James and John want to be on his left and right side. They were concerned about things that they did not need to be concerned about. Who's the greatest? We keep reading, and we read a little bit more, and we see a little bit more here. And it says, keep reading there, it says, And he sat down and called the twelve, and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all, and servant of all. And he took a child, and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name, receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me, receiveth whosoever shall receive me, receiveth not me, but him that sent me. And John answered him, saying, Master, we saw one cast out devils in thy name, and he followeth not us. And we forbade him, because he followeth not us. But Jesus said, Forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is on our part. He that is not against us, we're on the same side. We'll look at that more in a few minutes. Some Baptists have a hard time with this passage, but it's okay. I'm a Baptist. We'll deal with it. Verse number 41. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. Father, we need your help this morning. We thank you for this passage of scripture. I believe there are lessons for us today in 2021 that we can pick up from this passage. Help us take it this morning, apply it to our lives, and help us to learn from it this morning. Help it not be something that you have to keep repeating to us. Help us to get it. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We see they're in session in class again with Jesus. And they're passing through Galilee. And the idea is that they're not lingering, not lingering in things. You know, but as we see what happens here, again, Jesus teaches them the fact that he is going to die and that he's going to suffer. But that the end is not, he's going to rise again. The story doesn't end with his death. There's more to the story, and he's trying to teach the disciples this. And Jesus wants them to understand it. Every good teacher wants his or her students to understand what they're teaching. In the parallel passage in Luke 9, verse 44, the Bible says, "This is what you, Let these sayings sink down into your ears. It's, let it get in your head. You've got to get this. That's what he's trying to tell them. For the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. He's not really giving them any new material. This is just what he said a few days before. And he's going to say it again, but we see in verse 32, the disciples are pretty thick-headed. They're pretty dense. And it says, but they understood not that saying and were afraid to ask. The tense of the verb here is something like, 
they continued not to understand and they continued to be afraid to ask him. You ever been there where you've, someone told you what to do, but you didn't quite hear what they said and you didn't want to go back and ask them again? The other day at our house, sometimes I love having a tankless water heater and sometimes I don't. Well, we used to have a tankless water heater around here at church, and it seemed like every other day it was leaking. So Caroline calls me to the garage on Thursday, and our tankless water heater is leaking everywhere in the garage. And so that's our hot water. Anybody like to take cold showers or a cold bath, anything like that? Yeah. And uh, so we called our landlord, and someone came out. Well, because of all our cargo ships sitting on the, I don't know if it's that, but they still don't have the part from Wednesday till now. So the guy that was there decided to disconnect everything and just, it was still working. It was just leaking. I could put a bucket underneath it. He disconnected everything. So I called him afterwards because I wasn't there, and I'm like, why did you disconnect? He's like, well, it's leaking. Well, I have to take showers and things. The church is not going to be happy with me if I smell on Sunday, Okay i got to be able to take a shower ahead of time. So I'm driving. I'm on the phone with him, and he says, well, I said, and he's like, and me, like, we had one of these at church, same brand. I'll get it turned back on. We'll be fine. He's like, well, there's one little tube, and he went on to explain this tube. I was driving through the fields over here. I heard tube, and I'm like, got it. Good to go. I got home. He literally took the thing apart. I'm looking in there, and there's like three tubes. It's 9.30 at night. I'm like, oh, man. He told me what tube to put where, but I wasn't listening. So what do you think I did? Did I call the guy at 9.30, or did I try and make it work myself? I tried to make it work myself. Did it work? No. So what did I do? I called the guy. Um, I didn't quite understand, or I wasn't really listening. I said, I was honest, I wasn't quite listening. I was driving, and he helped me, and we got it back on. So for so if anyone's taking a shower or doing anything in the house, I have to sit in front of the machine, and every two minutes it starts beeping because it's going to go off, and I have to turn it off and turn it back on quick so the hot water continues. been doing that for six days now, and who knows how much longer. Thank you very much, but whole thing is I really didn't want to call the guy back because he already told me what to do and the disciples Jesus had already told them this a couple times they didn't quite understand it but this is the thing as we look at this passage they were not really concerned about what he was going ahead to do they were concerned about themselves how can we hear from God and get what God wants for us if we are concerned about making a name for ourselves? We're going to talk more about this this morning. My points are very simple. There's not a lot to it. I don't even have a copy of my notes today, so hopefully we get it all in place. And if not, someone tell me if I skip something as we go through. But we look at verse 33. It says, Jesus, the master teacher, calls out the disciples talking in class basically and he tells them look at verse 33 and he came to Capernaum and being in the house he asked them what was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way the other thing is don't they know it's like that guy had no clue I'm alright I'll be good that guy had no clue I wasn't paying attention and he never would have known if I never would have called 
but they're with Jesus. He knew what the Pharisees thought. He knew what the scribes thought. He knew what all these people thought. So don't you think that, well, they weren't thinking. If they were to think, they already knew that he knew that they didn't get it. That's how Jesus is. But as we look here this morning, there are two attitudes that I see. Verse 34, it says, but they held their peace, which meant they were sheepish and silent. There were two attitudes that the disciples had that I feel sometimes creeps into Christianity today and hinders us from hearing God and being able to go forward with what God has for us. And today I want to talk about those two attitudes we see in the disciples. The first one has to do with personal status, and then we see group superiority. Number one, we see in the Christian life there is no place for personal status. There is no place for personal status. The second half of verse 34 tells us why they didn't respond. For by the way disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. You see, they weren't disputing among themselves what Jesus said. No. Who's going to be? And you say, well, why were they talking about this? Why did this even come up? All of the disciples were in a huge dispute who was the best. Well, think about what happened before this, okay? Did all the disciples go up to the Mount of Transfiguration? No, there were three special disciples that did, right? Peter, James, and John. So maybe they felt a little superior, felt a little greater than the other disciples, maybe. Because, hey, we've been with Jesus. We saw him for who he is. We come down from the mountain, and you guys couldn't cast that devil out of that kid. You see where the dispute could be coming from? And they're arguing about who the greatest is. In that culture, rank, status, and power were huge things. At meals, in all dealings, there was a constant question, who was the greatest? And whoever would sit, where they would sit, who would be the most honored? That was a big deal in that culture. You see, the problem was pride. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, pride is the sin that made the devil the devil. It's a very true statement right there. God puts it like this in Jeremiah chapter number 45, verse number 5. And seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. We think of 3 John, verse number 9. And we think about this guy, Diotrephes. And this is what the Bible says about this man. It says, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, received us not. This guy, Diotrephes, he wanted to be first. He wanted to be the greatest. And we see what Jesus does. He goes to teach his disciples a lesson here. When we look at verse number 35, it says that, And as he sat down and called the twelve, you see, he didn't sit down here because he's tired, but because he was trying to teach the disciples something. This was a deliberate action by Jesus. Teachers sat when they taught with the students, and they would be kind of in a semicircle around the teacher. When he sat down, the disciples knew they better listen up. And Jesus, the first thing he tells this class 
is found in the rest of verse 35. It says, And saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be, least, shall be last of all, and servant of all. That goes completely against our world's culture today. goes against the culture of that day. Did you ever notice that the things of God go opposite of this world? As we look here and we see this, if you're serious about coming out ahead of everybody else, then you better get in the back of the line. Does that make sense? That's, if you want the best food, do you try to get to the front of the line and get there first? Or do you're like, no, I'll let everyone else go and I'll be at the back of the line. No, if you want the best food, you want to be in the front of that line to get the best food. Now, I've seen some of you at our potluck lines. I know how it works. <laughs> a good Baptist gets right in line. They might sit in the back in church, but when it comes to the potluck line, front of the line is the place to be in a Baptist church. Because you never know, some Baptists, their plates are piled so high if you're going to get anything at the end of the line. But anyways, we'll leave that all alone. Our Thanksgiving dinner is coming up. That's why I mentioned all that. So that's going to be coming up before long. But think about this. If you want to be superior, you need to be a servant. That's so opposite of the way we would look at it. The word servant here is where we get the word deacon from. It literally means in the dust laboring. And think about this, in true irony, Jesus is the greatest ever, not any of them. And Jesus longs for us to know that greatness in the kingdom is not determined by status, but by sacrificial service. Isn't that what Jesus displayed in his life? The ultimate servant. I've been reading about that. The king of kings and lord of lords came and he served, he came to minister unto those that are here and what does Jesus do? He gets an illustration for them. The Bible says in verse number 36, and he took a child and set him in the midst of them. Luke 9.48, and Luke 9:48, as we look at that, talks about this child. And that word child, this was not just uh, like someone Jenna's age. This is a toddler or an infant that Jesus had. Now, you think about it, in our culture... We're drawn to little children. You see them, and oh, they're so cute, and da-da-da-da-da. I'm glad I don't have to take them home with me. I'm glad they're someone else's problem, and all of that good stuff. I'm glad I don't have to take that one home. Whatever the case may be, we'll just leave all that there. But in Bible days and in this time, young children, they were marginalized, ignored. They were the bottom of the social ladder. It was the adults that mattered the most, not the kids. Isn't that interesting? completely opposite today and we won't go down either road there but after getting their attention read what he says next here it says and when he had taken him in his arms he said unto them whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me and whosoever receiveth me receiveth not me but him that sent me by holding this little one what jesus is doing he's modeling what it means to receive. Now think about this. This wasn't just about a little child. This was about someone who was forgotten, ignored. Kind of like the preborn are today. Forgotten and ignored. You would notice the word received is used four times. The word received means to, gr to grant warm um, hospitality. 
or the welcoming of a guest. When you have a little child, does that little child really do anything to help you? You feed that child. You change that diaper. You care for them when they're crying. John and Debbie, you experiencing some of that stuff all over again? You just didn't learn the lesson the first time, so the Lord's letting you go through it again. Uh, you know, the great-grandchild, right? What does that child do for you its first few years? Do they pay you for the food you give them? No. There's nothing that that child does for you. You take care of that child. A child needs to be served, but can't serve in return. And when we look at this, how does that, you, how, what, what's Jesus trying to say? In order to welcome someone who is ignored, or a little child, whatever the case may be, we must be humble servants. We see that right here. Jesus didn't want his disciples to get caught up on who the greatest is. Because may I help you this morning? May I just help you this morning? You're not great. You're not. Neither am I. None of us are great. He's great. I say, well, I'm better than so-and-so, and that's where you start getting yourself in a lot of trouble. Your measuring stick is not your spouse, it's not your pastor, it's not another Christian in your church. The measuring stick, the standard of Christianity is Jesus Christ. Measure yourself up against him. And I guarantee you, each and every time you will see there is nothing great about you if you measure yourself up against Jesus. Sure, you can find people that you are superior to in whatever, you know, you might be able to talk better than they can, you might have more money than they do, whatever the case may be. But that's not how the Christian life is supposed to work. We are not supposed to measure ourselves among ourselves. That's not wise. Isn't that what the scripture says? See, one of the disciples' problems here was the fact they were disputing who was the greatest when they should have been saying, Jesus, you're the greatest. If their focus would have been on him, they probably would have got what he was trying to say. And he teaches them this right now. And the next chapter, James and John, the sons of thunder, still don't get it. First lesson that we see is there's no place for personal status. Number two, we see there's no place for group superiority. This is where churches get into trouble sometimes. Make sure you listen up here. Don't get mad at the messenger this morning. Look at verse 38. And John answered him saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name. And he followeth not us. And we forbade him because he followeth not us. It's a bit surprising the disciple whom Jesus loved, he's known as that, right? Would be the one to speak up at this point. But we also need to remember that he was one of the sons of thunder. What exactly the Lord meant by that and things, you could get plenty of ideas there. John doesn't like the fact that there's another group of people having success doing what they were not able to do. Do you see that right there? What were the disciples not able to do this week? 
cast out devils. So now there's another group that were not with them that followed Jesus, but not with them, and they were able to cast out devils. Do you see the jealousy there? Do you see, like, some churches? Why does that church have so many people and we don't? Get into this thing, thinking that our group is better than another group. Well, I'm a Baptist. I'm better than everybody else. Being a Baptist doesn't make you better than anybody else. I want you to understand something this morning. I'm going to say a few things here in a minute, and I hope that you'll not get too upset, but I want to tell you some truth here this morning. But as we look here, the fact was jealousy was a big part of this. I see this amongst people a lot today in churches today. I'm not going to associate with them, and the only problem they have is that they're a bigger church than they are, and it's jealousy. We'll talk deeper into this in a minute. One day a lady criticized D.L. Moody for his methods of evangelism. And Moody's reply was this, I totally agree with you. I don't like the way I do it either. Could you tell me, how do you do it? The lady replied, well, I don't do it. And Moody said back, then I like my way of doing it better than the way of you not doing it. What's really going on in this passage here? is that John is exhibiting an attitude of superiority towards someone who's not in his group. This shows a narrow exclusivism of those who thought they were the closest to Christ. Well, I'm closer to him than you. That, that gets you into some trouble when you start looking at things that way. John is jealous because someone else is having some success that he didn't have. And we got to be very careful. Very careful. Not only not to look at ourselves and to compare ourselves among ourselves and to think who's the greatest and be concerned about personal status. But we also got to be careful that we don't get the idea that we're the only ones serving the Lord. And no one else, no one else in Chino preaches the truth but us. No one else has the truth. We got to read, and I'll talk more about this here in a second. We have to develop a kingdom focus, not only a church focus. I want to give you a few principles to help you in this regard. Letter A, we see underneath no place for, we see letter A, we don't have an exclusive lock on truth. I love being a Baptist, and I am a Baptist. That's not going to change. I had someone call me a couple days ago. They're like, are you going to take Baptist off there? I'm like, shut up. I almost hung up the phone on the person. I'm like, what are you talking about? I said, first off, this is not my church. This is the Lord's church, and it's the people's church. It's our church. I'm not going to take any name off of anything. I don't even know where that question came from. I'm a Baptist. And by conviction. But I'll tell you, if Baptists ever go against the word of God, the word of God is always right. I'm a biblicist before I'm a Baptist, but I'm a Baptist today. But you've got to understand, I love being a Baptist, and I hope on my tombstone it says I was a Baptist preacher. I'm proud of that fact. But that doesn't mean that we're the best 
or we have spiritual superiority to anyone. Listen well and get this this morning. If someone is a follower of Jesus Christ, if they are a saved child of God, if that church preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, guess what? They are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Are we listening this morning? But I, I don't like the Bible version they use. Then don't go there. You can get saved in lots of different Bible versions. It's awful quiet when you mention that. Some Baptists get a little tight on that stuff. I say, I don't like their music. Then don't go there. But just because someone has a method different than yours doesn't make them bad. That's truth. The gospel, if a church is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we'll talk, you'll, you're, some of you are thinking, pastor's just going off the deep end when he says that. Wait till point, wait, wait till point C, okay? Just hold on here for a minute, okay? We don't have an exclusive lock on truth. Guess what? We have, a, we have two big Calvary chapels here in Chino. Let me help some of you out. They preach the gospel. We're on the same team. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. There are many other churches. I could go through a list. A good friend of mine, a pastor friend in town, um, Valley Christian Church up on Norton, they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're on the same team. But they don't teach it the way we do. They don't wear a suit. Okay. Then I'm wearing one for you, so be happy with that, okay? It doesn't mean if you don't like something that someone does or a certain way that they do it, then go find some place. But I'll tell you this. If your methods are what cause you to leave a church, you've got some problems there, too. That's most of the reason why we, le- we never leave over doctrinal main things. And we'll talk about doctrine in a minute. We leave churches because we get our feelings hurt or because they just don't do it the way I like it. The music wasn't the way I, you know, in our church a couple years ago, all we did was sing hymns. And I know some of you, and I'm not trying to belittle this or I'm not trying to make, I'm not trying to make an issue of it. Some of you would prefer if we only sang hymns. I don't care what your preference is. We're singing to him. He's what matters to me. That's why there's a theme to our music. And it's him. But we can't get this idea, and I've heard many, I've heard many a sermon from good Baptist brethren talking about the fact that we have the truth that others don't. If they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are your brothers, and they're going to be in heaven with you. Just That's going to happen. Number two, or letter B, victory, us, can't reach everyone. Do you realize that? How are we going to fit the city of Chino in this building? Can we reach everyone? No. There are people that Calvary Chapel are going to reach that we are not going to reach. There are people that we'll reach that they won't reach. We have the, uh, yesterday I was talking to the city manager for a few minutes. There's 104,000 after the census in the city of Chino, and that includes some unincorporated areas too. 
there are probably 50 to 60,000 in Chino that are unchurched today, that are at home and have no church they go to. How are we going to reach everyone? We're not. That's why we need the others to do their job too. We need other churches. Letter C. We don't have to condone everything another church believes. Let me make sure you understand something, and I'm not going to go deep into this. Doctrine matters. I will say that again. Doctrine matters. And there are some churches, I didn't mention and go through their names this morning. I could. You want to live? If someone does not believe correctly on the doctrines of Jesus Christ, I will have no part with them. Period. Period. It is essential to believe in Jesus Christ, in his virgin birth, his sinless life, his death on the cross, his resurrection. It is essential. It's a non-negotiable. But I'll tell you something this morning. If someone uses the NIV, I will still be their friend and be nice. Say, well, what's wrong with it? If you use the NIV, you use whatever God wants, leads you to use. And if you ever want to talk more on that subject, come meet me in my office and I'll help you out with that topic. But you got to understand something. I don't have to agree with every little thing that every church does. If their doctrine on the Lord is wrong, Jesus is right. There are brothers and sisters. That doesn't mean we have to go to their conferences or go to their church for things. But they're not our enemy and we're on the same team. This show all men know that you're my disciples if ye love one another. Just some thoughts this morning. I love how Warren Worsby said this, it never ceases to amaze me how God blesses those I don't agree with. Here are some verses that Paul put in the scriptures for us under inspiration. Philippians 1, verse 15 and 18. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some of also of goodwill. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I do therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Said, hey, if they're preaching Christ, it might not be the way I like it or the, the things I want, but hey, if Christ is preached, I'm going to rejoice in what God's doing in their ministry. That's what Paul said. Moses had to deal with Joshua. And Joshua was zealous and jealous even. And he wanted Moses to stop some prophets who weren't a part of his group. Look what Moses said in Numbers 11, verse 29. And Moses said to him, Envious thou for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. You see that attitude right there? Do you see the pride is removed? But I think one of the things that happens is the pride that comes from personal status also helps this thing of group superiority. 
and neither one of those should have any part in the work of God. It was hindering the disciples from learning the lesson that Jesus must suffer many things and die and rise again. Why? Because their focus was on themselves and who was great. And jealousy that others were doing better than they were. If a church has a great day and we have the lowest day in all the world, praise God that they had a great day. You know, it's just like that way for Christians. Do you notice, some of you that like Facebook and Instagram and all those things, do you realize people never post their bad days? They never post bad things. They post the good things of life, right? They do. So people, that isn't life all the time. You know, but what you got to understand is this. We don't measure ourselves among ourselves. We have a standard. It's Jesus Christ. He's the standard. When other ministries are doing well, praise God for it. Let's be grateful. But when we look and as we see and as we close out, look at what Jesus said to him in verse 39. But Jesus said, Forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me, for he that is not against us is on our part. Those doing miracles in the name of Jesus, they're not foes of his followers Jesus gives them another example. You look at verse 41, and we're closing here. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because he belonged to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. The giving of someone water was a, um, was a practical act of hospita- hospitality in that day. You could look at Matthew chapter number 10. It talks about the fact and the word for water and things is referring to cold water. Now, we think nothing of it. Someone comes over today, you can just put your cup up to your fridge and you can get water from there. Or we all have bottled water in the cupboard, right? Or in the fridge and you can give someone bottled water. It is nothing for us to give someone water today. If someone wanted cold water in Bible days, did they grab it from their refrigerator? Oh, they didn't have a refrigerator, did they? How would you get cold water back in Bible days? Deep in the well, right? It took work and effort to get that water, right? And that's what we see the Lord talking about. To give someone a cup of cold water required sacrifice. When we receive a child or give a cup of water, we're demonstrating humble service and doing it for Christ. The smallest acts of hospitality and service in the name of Jesus will be rewarded. Hey church, don't worry about who's greater in here today. And don't worry about if our church is better than any other church. We're not. Let's go out and help somebody and show them Christ. Let's go minister to someone who can't minister back. You talk about greatness, that's what greatness is all about. The servant of all. The disciples just couldn't get in. We're going to see later on, they still had a hard time getting in. I love this last quote, and I'm going to close here. This quote, it's a helpful one to me. There is nothing God cannot do 
if we keep our hands off the glory. It's not about you and me. It's all about him. Let's get our eyes off of ourselves and get our eyes on him.